0: I don't know about the rest of the men in the room, but I was blessed a minute ago. Um, so can we just say thank you for, Mar- for Marcy? <clears throat> it is a beautiful and wonderful thing to be blessed by a godly woman. So I, I am just thankful. Um, pray with me, William. Our Father and our God... We come before you now um, thankful that we can approach your throne as your children. And God, I, I know, I know personally that you have been walking with me uh, heavily the past couple of weeks. The truth is, you are always present with us. Whether we feel it or not. And so Lord, um, We recognize that you are present with us even now. And I ask for the grace that your Holy Spirit would be felt in this place, even in the next few moments. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. 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 It is a privilege to be with you this morning, and it's a privilege to have the opportunity to preach as our lead pastor and our first lady are on sabbatical this month. um, I haven't heard anything from them, which I take as a good sign so far. Um, we, uh, We are praying for them. Uh, that they would have a restful and fun time as they are away together, uh, recharging in the Lord. Amen? Amen. It is much needed, much needed. Uh, And as you know, while Russ is out, Chris and me, with the help of Dr. Paul Jackson, have been uh, taking over the preaching ministry in this month. And uh, we have actually gotten the opportunity to shape this sermon series in 1 Thessalonians. um, And uh, we've gotten to shape that all on our own. So that's been a pleasure. It's been a good thing. Uh, We've gotten to study and prepare um, this series in 1 Thessalonians. And I hope it is as much a blessing to you as it has been to us to prepare it. Um, And if you remember, or if you first week back with us... uh, we have been working through the book of First Thessalonians, um, looking at the example of the Thessalonian church as a people whose faith bears great witness to Jesus Christ in the world. And if you remember from chapter 1, Paul says to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Now, for the Apostle Paul... To admit that he need not say anything further to preach the gospel is kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal because that means that the Thessalonian witness to the gospel is that powerful that he need not say anything. Now, I'm not trying to say that Paul is egotistical or talks too much, but if you read Paul, you know that he's brilliant. And he has a ton to say to preach the gospel. Amen? But when he sees the Thessalonian church bearing witness to that gospel in the places where he goes, he says, I can't do better than that. That is a powerful, powerful testimony of a group of people whose lives were radically altered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why we're studying the book of 1 Thessalonians this summer. We want to discover how God transformed this church into a group of people who could bear such powerful witness to Jesus in the world. A group of people for whom Paul says at one point that they have nothing else to learn regarding love and discipleship. How did they get to that point? How did they get to the point that they are when Paul writes this first letter? And what can we learn from them that would enable us to be able to be people whose faith goes out and bears witness before us and speaks with power and conviction, merely out of the content of our faithful walk with Jesus in the context of Jackson, Tennessee? How? How can we more radically yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in each one of us so that we could preach the gospel of God truly and fully for the transformation of people and for the bringing about of Jesus' kingdom even in this place? That's why we're studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. And a big part of discovering how God worked so mightily in the Thessalonian church is found by looking at Paul. And specifically, the missionary character of Paul. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But Paul is the Thessalonians' father in the faith. So we need to prayerfully examine his life, and his witness to them, as he and Silas and Timothy were the workers who planted the seeds of salvation in the Thessalonian church. And that's what we see in our passage for today. We get a peek in Paul's own words at how he began his ministry to them and how he preached the gospel of God among them, which took such deep root in their community. So if you are willing and able Please rise with me for the reading of the word in First Thessalonians. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our visit to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the face of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from error or uncleanness, nor is it made with guile. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our faith, our hearts. For we never used either words of flattery, as you know, or a cloak for greed, as God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a mother taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, as I mentioned earlier, our friend Paul Jackson preached for us last week, and he encouraged us in the way of salvation. I'm sorry, evangelism, and salvation too. Um, He reminded us that our faith needs to work out into the world, that we need to bring the gospel message to the nations, wherever God is calling us. We need to make good on our faith in the world, for the transformation of sinners, and the bringing of God's kingdom in all places. And our brother Paul preached that Directly from the life of the Apostle Paul. Because that is exactly what he did. He was an evangelist. One who sacrificed his life so that the good news would make it to people that it otherwise wouldn't have. And here, in this passage, we get to see what kind of evangelist Paul is. We get to see Paul's missionary character. That is how he works to preach the gospel, the method that he uses. That missionary character of Paul is revealed by what he tells us in this passage to the, Th- the Thessalonians. And even more than that, I think Paul teaches us what the gospel is in this passage. He shows us how we should understand the good news of Jesus Christ. What it is, how it works, why it matters. This, I think, is the most crucial thing. Because your understanding of the gospel will determine your missionary character. How you understand the gospel will influence how you share that good news with your community, and with the world. Now, Paul's method of evangelism, as we see it in this passage, illuminates for us his understanding of the gospel. And I think this is what we see in Paul here, that the good news of Jesus Christ is a gospel of radical knowing which incorporates every aspect of our humanity and is affected through a full understanding of who God is. That's kind of a mouthful, I realize. What do I mean by radical knowing? That seems like kind of a philosophical phrase, doesn't it? I simply mean that the gospel is first and foremost the announcement that there is the possibility of a real real relationship with the God of the universe. It is a declaration that you can know God because He has known you. And therefore this gospel message, this message of radical knowing happens in two stages. First, God knowing us and then us knowing God. Now, the gospel, as we understand it, is delivered to us in Scripture. It must necessarily begin with God knowing us. Amen? Amen? There are many belief systems in the world. I don't know if you know this. Not everybody believes in Jesus. There are many different ways that people try to get to God. Throughout the world throughout the history of mankind, many, many different systems of thought have sought to know God. And some are better than others. And some even get pretty darn close. But they are all, as far as I can see it, attempts to reach transcendence by understanding or imitating or playing at the divine. But any attempt to seek knowledge of God that begins with us will result in nothing more than the Tower of Babel. Men and women in their own power, building structures to reach the heavens so that we can get on God's level. God has and will pronounce judgment on that because it is ultimately idolatry. Seeking God through your human ability is ultimately self idolization and self sitterness. The true, the true gospel of knowing begins with the vastly transcendent God, but the God that is also infinitely personal. He's found in the Jewish scriptures. His name is Yahweh. We must begin with God, the God who personally created Adam and Eve, who reached down into the earth to form the man, who reached into the man's side to form the woman, the God who personally reached out to Noah, the God who personally called Abraham, the God who whispered, in the ear of Moses. We must understand, we must enter into those relationships, those promises, those covenants that he had with them in order to fully grasp his final word to the world, which was in Jesus Christ. Now, whereas God's relationship with this people in the Old Testament is a witness of how God seeks relationship with us, his final word in Jesus is our invitation to know God directly through Him. In Jesus, we are invited to know God fully, radically even, as we become one with God through Jesus Christ in communion with the Holy Spirit. It is only in knowing God through Jesus that we can truly become ourselves and take our place as glorious glorifiers of His name. It is in that relationship that we become truly enabled for the mission of reconciliation. It is through oneness with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit that we become a force For transformation in our communities and in our city and in our world. Because in that true gospel relationship, we are empowered with a message of reconciling closeness of God in this world. So much of the time, the darkness in this world makes us feel that God is somewhere far far away, if he exists at all. The suffering we see often makes us feel as though God has forgotten. Yet, brothers and sisters, we have been entrusted with a gospel that says God is very, very close. Too close for comfort sometimes. And this is what you're called to brothers and sisters, to reveal the closeness of God by shining the light of Jesus into the dark places of your community. That's how you become transformative. That's how you get transformed. That's how you bring about resurrection in dead places. By bearing witness to the resurrection life of Jesus. And this is how the Thessalonians witnessed. And it's why Paul didn't need to say anything else, because it spoke for itself. And so the question for us is how is this gospel that Paul preached to the Thessalonians achieved? How is this gospel preached? How does it come into effect? The answer, I think, is simple, but it's not easy. The answer is through sacrifice, through self-giving sacrifice. It begins with God sacrificing himself for the sake of knowing us and us knowing him. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary is the means by which we enter into relationship with God Because in Jesus' death and resurrection and by His indwelling Holy Spirit, we can become one with Him and take on the relationship He has with the Father as beloved sons and daughters of the Most High. There is no way to the Father except by the Son. Amen? This is the so-called vertical effects of the gospel between God and humanity. Now the horizontal effects of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel between you and others, is achieved by the same thing. Self-giving sacrifice. This is Paul's missionary character that we see in the passage today. One of self-giving sacrifice. He preached the gospel to the Thessalonians by giving himself to them. Paul gave himself fully to the missionary work of God and that meant that he submitted himself in relationship with his disciples on an ongoing basis. Paul Jackson shared a story with us last week in which he was encouraged by a brother to stay in the community of his mission field long enough To make a deposit, as he put it. And I think that's a good way to put it. And I think what Paul was being called to by that brother was to give himself sacrificially to the people he was teaching, which takes time and it takes dedication and it often takes a lot of mess. But attempts to share the gospel will be in vain if there's no skin in the game. And I didn't even mean to make that rhyme. (laughs) That works pretty good. I like that. Attempts to share the gospel will be in vain if there's no skin, flesh, your body in the game. Truly sharing the gospel is sharing the life of Christ In relationship. Both long and short relationships count, but they have to be true relationships nonetheless. Handing out gospel tracts can have a gospel effect in the world, but it will be insufficient, probably only appealing to the mind or the intellect, and it won't communicate the fullness of the true Gospel. Seeking political justice for the poor can have great gospel effect in the world, but it will be insufficient if the moral conviction of Christ is not preached as well. Shepherding people to spiritual awakening can have great gospel effect on individuals, but it will be for nothing if their bodies and minds are not fed with the true life in the Word. No self-giving sacrifice, no relationship, no gospel. Paul exemplifies the relational gospel for us in this passage today. And I want to take just a few minutes to draw out from the passage what sharing the gospel is, And what it is not. So first, let's see what the gospel is not. In verses 4 to 6. He says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never used either words of flattery, as you know, or a cloak for greed, as God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others. The gospel requires true, honest relationship. So truly preaching the gospel, truly sharing the gospel is not offering flattering words to please people and to seek your own glory. The point of the gospel is not to praise or commend people, but rather to draw them to Christ. And therefore, flattering words which seek to please the person who hears them cannot speak the true gospel. A true gospel convicts to holiness and does not flatter the person about the state that they're in. You are welcome to come to God in any state that you find yourself, in all of your mess. He wants you regardless of how good you are. Amen? But he is not content to leave you there. And the gospel encourages the hearer to change for God and never heaps praise for the sake of gaining favor. So often, flattering talk has its own purpose. Amen? And that is usually the gain and the greed of the person doing the talking. This is probably what the Apostle Paul had in mind here. A charlatan or a sage who would preach a flattering message to get favor and glory with an audience for the ultimate end of gaining fame or notoriety or wealth? It was a common practice in Paul's time and culture for sages to gain a following based on their charismatic preaching, compelling messages, and good looks. And for that matter, it's the same in our time and culture, is it not? Think about those influential voices that come to mind in media and politics. The masses flock to those who sell them a message they want to hear on both sides of the political and cultural divide. And for what? At the end of the day, it's for greed and glory. And I don't think I'm just being cynical. The drive for fame and wealth is completely incompatible with the true gospel message. So always, always be wary of a preacher, a politician, an activist, an artist, or a teacher who tells you exactly what you want to hear. Those who find platforms to speak put a lot of work into reading their audience so that their message will have a great effect on you. So you must always ask God for wisdom to discern what is right in His eyes because He alone is righteous and He sits upon His heavenly throne giving righteous judgment, as Psalm 9 says. And you must also be wary of preaching a message yourself that people want to hear from you. And I hope it's clear when I say preach here, I mean any message you give, whether behind a pulpit or otherwise. There are sermons preached uh, everywhere, in conversations, at coffee shops, over dinner, on the front porch, on the internet. So be aware of the message that you share That one rhymes too. It's pretty good. (laughs) Be aware of the message that you share. And when you find that people are listening to you, always ask yourself, am I sharing a true gospel message? A message that bears witness to the sacrificial life of God in Jesus Christ. A message that glorifies the Creator because of His eternal love for His creation. Because y'all, we are oftentimes delusional about truth. It is so easy to conflate our own thoughts, our own desires, our own hopes for what is true. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we must always defer to the Holy Scriptures be the final arbiter of truth and holiness. Amen. The whims of mankind shift to and fro with the changing of times, but God's word stands forever. Greedy, flattering words bear witness to the desire of culture, and they feed the self-aggrandizing impulse within each one of us. Always, Always test your own speech when you share with others. And always test the words that are given to you as truth. Test them against the revealed truth found in Jesus and his gospel message. And here's the bottom line with this. The drive for selfish gain, greed, flattery, and glory, as Paul puts it, is incompatible with the gospel because it actually cannot preach the full gospel message of radical relational knowing. The drive for fame and notoriety for money is inherently selfish. The drive for the gospel is inherently selfless. And as I've said, the only way the gospel can be preached effectively in the world, is by sacrificial relationship. To preach a message of good news that is driven by your own desire for glory is repugnant to God, to use a good old church word. Such a message is not only ineffective; it is an anti-gospel. It's bad news that is incapable of healing the sorrows of the world, So let's now turn and see what Paul's witness tells us about what the gospel is, what sharing the gospel is. And the first thing that I think we see is found in verse 2. He says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the face of great opposition. This reveals for us the first truth of what sharing the gospel will entail. Truly sharing the gospel of God requires great courage because it will be done in opposition. Now, there are places in the world, even today, right now, where you can lose your life for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Christians in those parts of the world deserve our prayers and continued thanksgiving to God for their witness in the world. They know and experience for all of us the full effects of persecution and hatred which Jesus told us we would suffer in His name. But we need not pity those brothers and sisters in hostile parts of the world. world. But rather, we need to pray for them, that God would comfort them, that God would protect them, but also that we would come to know the depth of their faithfulness in such difficulty. We should pray that God would enable us by His Holy Spirit to keep the faith alongside those brothers and sisters for our good and for their encouragement because they truly know what Paul means when he talks about being shamefully treated and having to have courage in God. Now, even so, those of us who live in friendly, easy parts of the world, we will face opposition when we truly proclaim the gospel as well. The truth of the gospel will always have enemies, even in the polite and peaceful parts of the world. There are many, many ways that this opposition presents itself. But even if it isn't physically violent, if your life is not threatened, sharing the gospel will require courage in God because the message of Jesus always, always subverts unjust and evil structures of power that set themselves up in this world. And when you preach against that, you will come under opposition. Amen. Truly preaching the gospel will challenge political injustices. Truly preaching the gospel will convict immorality. Truly preaching the gospel will put a mirror up to the culture of death and call people to life in Christ. Truly preaching the gospel in your context will require that you seek out the strongholds of the devil and shine a light of Christ into that darkness. And if you do this faithfully, you will receive opposition. There's no doubt about it. And you will require great courage. But not courage in yourself. Rather, courage in God. And that kind of courage is infinitely more powerful because it is courage in the God who has already won the war. Confidence in Christ is sure. Amen? The second thing that we see that defines truly sharing the gospel can be found in verses 7 and 8. Paul says, but we were gentle." among you, like a mother taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. We see here Paul's deep love for the Thessalonian church, and it reveals what truly sharing the gospel is like. It's like a mother caring for her children in gentleness. Now, I know it's Father's Day. um, And in fact, in the next section of this chapter, Paul gives a great analogy for how sharing the gospel is like a father encouraging his children. So it would be great for Father's Day, but I guess we did not plan the the timing of these passages very well because today's analogy is about mothers. Um, But hang with me. Stay with me. Uh, We have a lot to learn from Paul and what he says here. I said earlier that the only way the gospel can truly, effectively be shared in the world is by sacrificial um, self-giving. And we see Paul exemplify this sacrificial life with the Thessalonians. We see that sacrifice defines his missionary character. And to explain himself, to explain what uh, that self-giving sacrifice is like, to show us the means by which he gives himself to them, to show us the flavor of his service to the church, he uses the best analogy he can think of, and that is of a mother taking care of her children. Now, there are a lot, uh, there's a lot to be said about how and why Paul evokes this image of a mother to help explain sharing the gospel. And there are many mothers around this room that could explain it a lot better than I can. But I'll give just a few observations from this passage and from my own experience that hopefully will give some vision for how motherhood, motherhood, y'all, is a powerful and spiritual practice that teaches us how the gospel is meant to be shared in the world. So four quick observations. First, I think it needs to be said that the, uh, the image of the mother caring for her children is uh, not a dainty, quaint little thing. Okay? Okay? I realized that sometimes the image of a gentle mother nursing children can be caricatured as a small, quaint, cute, even weak little thing. Maybe you imagine a nursery where there's some nice nursery rhymes or a lullaby playing in the background, and pastel colors on the walls, soft white pillows, And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what your nursery looks like, that's fantastic, great. Nothing wrong with that. But I have been around a lot of you mothers, and I have had the privilege to witness my own wife caring for our son through the years. And I've gotten to witness a lot of the mothers in this church taking care of their children. And if you will allow me, To be so bold as to say, uh, motherly love is very rarely cute and sweet and dainty. It's very rarely a weak little situation. No, what I have seen is that motherly love is really a big, fierce kind of love. The kind of love that you do not get into the way of, if you know what I mean. And that kind of love is oftentimes very messy, both metaphorically and literally. And in the best moments that I've witnessed motherly love, uh, it is kind and it is gentle. Um, But it is also hugely powerful and fiercely transformative. Exactly the kind of love needed to rightly shape the growing minds and bodies of children. Thanks be to God. So my point is this. Don't ever, ever mistake mother's gentleness for weakness. Amen? Amen. True motherly love is both gentle and powerful. And that is why Paul evokes this analogy. Sharing the gospel should be like the powerful, gentle love of a mother. The second thing is that the true love of of a mother is freely given. Paul uses this as an example of how truly sharing the gospel is starkly, should be starkly different from the greed and dishonesty of glory seeking. In, in those who are charlatans or sages or politicians, He also says that he and Timothy and Silas could have made demands of the Thessalonians because they were apostles of Christ. They were within their rights by virtue of who they were to ask for payment, financial payment, and thanksgiving for their service. But they did not. They instead were gentle, as Paul puts it. And they required nothing of the Thessalonians. Like I said earlier, I've had the privilege to walk alongside Courtney these past 10 years as she has mothered our son Samuel. And I've gotten to witness many other women in this church mother their children. And I can attest to the fact that it is often a thankless job for which they deserve much more. Thanksgiving and probably even financial payment, both from children and men. But the beauty that I see time and time again is that good mothers give their love freely over and over and over and over and over again. They do it without question. This is another powerful expression of what it means to be a mother. And it illuminates the gospel of Jesus, I say. True love is freely, gracefully given, regardless of payment, regardless of the reward. And this is the only way that sharing the gospel will be effectual in our world if it is given Freely and without expectation for repayment. And that is without expectation for financial payment. But also without the expectation that God owes us the right to see the results of our labor. Ours is to give freely and the rest is in his hands. The third thing. True motherly love is given in affection. The love of a mother is affectionate and tender for her children. It comes from a place of deep care and concern, and it can soften the hard hearts of her children. Paul uses this same paradigm when explaining the right time when he was ready to share the gospel. It was only after they gained affection for the Thessalonians. My translation says, so, so becoming affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share the gospel of God. Affectionately desirous. I like that a lot. That's good. It seems to communicate it well. It was only after they came to love the Thessalonians that they were truly ready to share the gospel message. Why? Because no relationship, no gospel. Paul knows that the good news of Jesus must be communicated in the honest, free context of love and affection. Otherwise, it will be a facade. It will be fake. And it will tend toward glory-seeking rather than drawing people to the radical relationship with Jesus. Paul could truly preach the gospel because he was not willing to give them a message only with words, but he was also willing to give them his life. And that is how you know you are well-equipped and ready To share the gospel with someone when you're ready to give yourself over to them. Which leads us to the last thing here. Something I've been saying throughout the message today, that sharing the gospel is only effective when it's sacrificial. The love of a mother exemplifies this kind of sacrificial love. Like a mother with her children, Paul was ready and willing to give himself for the Thessalonians. That enabled him to speak the gospel with authority. That kind of sacrificial love demands attention and garners credibility that is only as powerful as it is selfless. And I should say, this kind of sacrificial love is not self-martyrdom. It is the self-giving love of a mother, a living, active kind of sacrifice. Paul in Romans 12, uh, verse 1, encourages Christians in Rome to give themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And that's what Paul calls us to in this passage today. Presenting ourselves as living sacrifices is the only context in which the gospel will take powerful effect in our world, as we see it did with the Thessalonians. If we desire to be people whose faith bears powerful witness to Jesus in this world, we must first give ourselves as living sacrifices to the work of spreading the gospel among our church and in our city. Because that's what we're called to, brothers and sisters. We're called to imitate Jesus, who is the original living sacrifice. Amen? It is only in the sacrificial life that imitates Jesus that we can effectively share in His ministry in the world. Because He gave everything for our sake, we are now able to give our lives for the sake of others. And so I want to invite you to celebrate as we take communion today. And as we take communion every week to proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus continually until he returns. In doing this, we remember the way he has given himself for us. So that we can give ourselves so that others might have life in him. I want to invite our musicians and servers to come up, take their places. And as you are released by the ushers today, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you can call yourself a Christian today, you are welcome to come and partake of the elements alongside your fellow believers. You don't have to be a member here at City Fellowship. And as you come down, you'll take a piece of the bread and the server will remind you that this is the body of Christ which was broken for you. And then you'll dip it into the juice And you'll be reminded by the other servant that this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. And then you may return to your place and sing with us. And if you're in need of prayer today, if you need a blessing, or if you want to respond to the way that God is calling you in your life, Pastor Chris and I will be down front and we are ready and willing to pray with you. So you are invited to come. Now let's do this in remembrance of Jesus with thanksgiving in our hearts for the way that he's loved us and prayerful spirits that seek to be a blessing to others in his name. Pray with me as I bless this meal. Father God, we are thankful for how you have given yourself so freely to us. We are grateful for the way you have brought us close when we were far away we ask that you make yourself manifest to us now in these next few moments. And I pray that all the brothers and sisters here would sense your closeness to us today by your Holy Spirit. Bless our time as we enter into communion with you. And may our worship in this way be holy and acceptable in your sight. In the name of Jesus, amen.